From Boston University and BU Alumni Relations, welcome to Proud to Be You Around the World. I'm your host, Jeff Murphy, and this season, we're taking the podcast on the road to meet some of our most interesting and accomplished alumni navigating life and careers in cities across the globe. Today, it's my pleasure to welcome guest host Yuna Lee back to the podcast. Yuna and I work together in the alumni office where she oversees our efforts to keep alumni in Asia Pacific connected to BU and to each other. She's also a fellow Terrier, having earned her MBA from Questrom in 2014. Yuna, thanks again for hosting today's interview. Take it away. Thanks for having me back, Jeff. Today, my guest is Ellen Wong. Ellen graduated with a degree in political science from the College of Arts and Science in 1990. Since then, he has built a very distinguished career as a foreign correspondent. When we recorded our conversation in February 2020, Ellen was the deputy bureau chief for the emerging markets team at Bloomberg News Shanghai office. Now he has been promoted as the South China Bureau Chief. He will be based in Shenzhen, China, and he will continue to be deeply involved in Bloomberg's coverage of prominent stories in the area. On this episode of the podcast, Ellen shared stories from his unique BU experience and provides insights into what it's like to be a journalist embedded within the black box of China. Ellen, thank you so much for taking the time to join us today from Shanghai, China. I thought we can start from telling the listeners where you grew up. Oh, sure. I grew up in um, I grew up in Brooklyn, New York, and Williamsburg, actually, before uh, it became this uh, hipster place. I went to um, a pub- public school, uh, PS132, and uh, it was mostly Black and Hispanic kids. My, my parents transferred me to a Catholic school. Uh, where there are all these white Italian kids, so it was quite uh, quite a shock. Yeah, Br- Brooklyn is uh, sort of uh, what defines me, I would say, just because um, I mean it's become much more of a hip place. But when I when I was growing up, it was more of a working class type environment, and for me, it was it was very it was, it was quite difficult uh, being always being the only uh, Asian kid in school, besides my siblings. And I remember growing up and um, after school having a uh, go to my parents' restaurant to uh, to help out while the other kids used to uh, play, and I used to resent that. But I, I think it's really made me uh, grow up in Brooklyn and having to, uh, you know, work at my parents' restaurant and uh, being in an environment where there weren't people like me has made me um, into a much more resilient person. That's great. So, Ellen, what was it about BU that captured your attention and eventually made you to decide to come here from Brooklyn, New York? Initially, uh, I didn't really have uh, any high expectations for myself. I, I have to admit that when I went to high school, I uh, I got in trouble quite a bit, and my you know I, I did well in some classes, didn't do so well in others. But basically, my high school experience was pretty disappointing. And I ended up going, following a lot of my friends and going to a local area college. But uh, I realized uh, when I went to uh, that college that I wanted more. Um, and I decided that, you know, I, I wanted to go to a, you know, a bigger, better school. And so in my, uh, so what I did was I, you know, I, I really did well in school. And uh, I remember uh, writing for the college newspaper I was I was working for a bank. I did all of that to build up my application uh, for BU, 
and uh, and then and you know, I applied to uh, you know a couple of schools uh, outside of New York, and I decided to go to BU just because uh, one of my professors told me what, what a good school it was. I always always heard about how Boston is the place to be for uh, for colleges, um, so it was really more of word of mouth than anything. And also, it was my first chance to uh, to leave New York. Very good. I know Ellen. You graduated from College of Arts and Sciences. Would you mind telling the listeners what you studied there? Sure. It used to be called CLA, but they changed it to uh, CAS now. And I, I was a I was a poli sci major, and um, my advisor back then was uh, Terry McDougal. I just mentioned him just because he was sort of the reason why I decided to major in political science. When I first went to BU, I wasn't quite sure what I, what I wanted to major in, and I took acting for a little while before I realized um, I'm not sure whether or not you know I can make this a career. So I went to um, a major in political science at uh, the College of Liberal Arts, and I took uh, courses in, in in everything under the sun. Uh, I remember some of the best courses I took were in creative writing music appreciation. For me, the most important thing was I, I took a lot of uh, challenging classes, not just in that school, but in uh, some of the other, other uh, colleges at BU. Uh, I remember uh, taking calculus and um, what else? Some other, like some, some molecular biology. And uh, I, I did it just to sort of stretch out the brain a bit, you know, sort of test myself. So and I, I think that's important uh, when you're in college to be able to you know, take a lot of different courses because you never know what could be useful. For me, it was a career writing and calculus of all of all classes. So, Ellen, um, let's talk a little bit more about your BU experience. Was there any experience that uh, really stick to you? Um, maybe um, did you ever took a study abroad program, or was there a faculty, staff, or a fellow classmate who was most um, influential to you? You know, I, I had a very untraditional uh, college experience. Uh, my first year at BU, you know, I really studied a lot. I, I, I kind of regret it a little bit just because, you know, I just spent a lot of time in the library. And I, I needed to just because I felt when I graduated from high school, I was unprepared relative to my peers. Uh, but then after a while, um, I started getting more comfortable, I, especially in my uh, by my junior year. I decided to uh, intern in Washington through the BU legislative program. And I remember working for a congressman. And uh, it was just an amazing experience, you know, just seeing how politics is practiced. And I have to admit, you know, I I, uh, I party a lot with my fellow <laughs> B students. I had a great time, and I met some great friends there. And then we started talking about maybe uh, extending the, uh, the good times. And the following semester, I applied for the uh, the BU program in Oxford, England. And my friend, uh, my best friend, he's still one of my best friends, uh, applied for the BU London program where he worked for a member of parliament. So on the weekends, we would just meet up and go drinking. But I remember in Oxford, uh, it was just a really intense experience. It made me a better writer. I remember back then, there were no computers or iPads. We used to have to write by longhand. And they had these tutorials where you have to you know, talk about your topic in depth one-on-one with your professor. So I did that, and then, like I said, it was just I, and I had a chance to see the world. It was just fantastic, and I decided that uh, it wasn't enough. And the great thing about BU was that I had a um, I had a partial merit scholarship, so I was able to apply my scholarship towards my study abroad programs. So after Oxford, I went to uh, study for summer in Shanghai, China. Uh, it was actually um, a Columbia University program, and it was just fantastic. 
uh, not only did I improve my Mandarin Chinese, but uh, it was just an um, incredible experience. This was China, different China, a, a Maoist China, when people used to wear you know, those, those green Mao outfits. And it was a, a very romantic time. I, I say it just because it was back in like 1988, before Tiananmen, before U.S.-China relations started to worsen. And I uh, did that for a summer. And after that, I went to Hong Kong to study at the Chinese University of Hong Kong. Uh, I took a language course. So basically, I, I, went, from, I went from one study program to another for like two years. And BU paid for most of that. Uh, so I was really grateful. And I was able to get academic credit for these experiences. Uh, so it was a win-win all around. I got to uh, see the world. I, you know, I, I did well. I got the excellent grades. It really prepared me well for uh, my future career. That's really awesome, Ellen. So once you left BU, how did you carve out your current career path as a foreign correspondent? Where was your first writing job and who have you written for? Yeah, I mean, that's the, that's the funny thing about it is that um, I was a poli-sci major in, at BU. And uh, later on, I got master's in uh, foreign affairs and in law. But I've actually never taken um, a formal class in journalism. So it, it was kind of um, by fluke. And uh, not to say that, you don't you know, studying journalism wouldn't, wouldn't help you. Of course it would. You're better off having a well-rounded academic career, just being knowledgeable a lot about a lot, of different, a lot of different subjects. For me, um, you know, like, like I said, when I graduated from uh, BU and poli-sci, I thought I would go to uh, go law school, and that was the plan. But then I ended up in Japan through the, uh, the JET program, and I did that for two years. Uh, I went to Hong Kong to visit an uncle, and I decided I wanted to stay in Asia. So I did a, I did like a mass mailing my resume to about 100 companies, and I got several responses. And I, I got the, an offer from this Japanese uh, telephone company, a telecom company called Uniden, and they offered me a job as a marketing manager, which I accepted. And a day before uh, I was supposed to start, I got a call from uh, this magazine called Asia Week. Uh, it, it was owned by Time back then. It's no longer around, but I, I didn't think I was going to get it. But they called me on a Sunday and asked me if I wanted wanted to be a junior reporter. And the job would involve mostly fact-checking, and a salary would be half of the other uh, job that I got uh, offered. And I accepted. You know, and I did that for a year in Hong Kong, uh, where I did a little reporting, but it's mostly fact-checking. But that was really my first exposure to journalism. And I, even back then, I wasn't totally set on being a journalist. And after the year was up, I I decided to go back to the States and go to law school. But before before that, I did another mass mailing on my resume, and I had an interview with uh, Reuters. So they called me in, and uh, I don't know, what, I'm not, I don't know uh, why they did, because I didn't, I didn't think I was really qualified. Uh, but I remember the, uh, the head of Asia interviewed me in... Um, in Cantonese, Mandarin, and Japanese. And uh, so he was asking me questions in all three languages, and I was able to respond. And it wasn't necessarily that I was uh, fluent, but basically, you know, I guess my, my language skills were better than his. And then, you know, I got hired at Reuters, and it was difficult. My, my first year, it was really a learning experience. And I thought they were going to fire me. And later on, I found out that the reason why they kept me on was because they thought I was a hard worker and that I had a lot of great ideas. 
and and over the, and, and after a while, you know, it took me a year or so, and I really got I started to get the hang of it, and I started to flourish, and I start I, then they sent me to Tokyo, and and, and you know I did well there. They, 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 they offered me several bureau, bureau chief jobs, so I would say that you know Asia Week was my first exposure. Um, and I, it could have easily gone another another way. I could easily be, uh, you know, selling, uh, you know, smartphones for a living. But instead, I decided not to go for money and to get some experience um, reporting. That's great. That's really marvelous, Ellen. So, Ellen, what was the biggest fork in the road? Assuming it was not all a straight line for you. Well, there have been uh, several forks, and I just I just told you one of them, where I could have easily got a job, you know, working in the, uh, the cell phone industry instead of journalism, and that was that was just luck and timing. But there have been several several forks. I remember when I was in high school, I remember spending a lot of time uh, reading um, when I was in the library, reading a lot of uh, news magazines, thinking about well, would it be great to be a journalist? And I, I think that. Um, that was sort of that sort of gave me an indication that someday I would want to be um, I might want to be a journalist, but I didn't think I had the skills for that. And then uh, when I was at BU, I, I I interned for WGBH in Boston, a news station. I did it for a year, and that was an amazing experience. Um, I would bring uh, one of my job was to, would be to bring celebrities uh, into the studio, and I met a lot of uh, interesting people. And they used to even allow me to write weather reports, you know, uh, for broadcasts. So that was an amazing experience. Um, and I, I think that, you know, I, you know uh, were there forks in the road? Perhaps not, but there were like indications of what I might achieve someday. And uh, but in terms of maybe other forks in the road, uh, whether or not I wanted to be, uh, whether I wanted to be a journalist, there have been times when uh, I've had other jobs. Um, I was, um, I worked for the government for a while and I did that for several years, but I realized that I could, I could have kept going and, um, you know, I worked for, for the state department and treasury as well, uh, for several years. Yeah. And I could have kept on going, but I realized that I really like being out there, uh, meeting people, talking to people without necessarily having, um, a position, you know, um, and I think journalism allows me to do that. So after that, after that experience, I decided I wanted to, I wanted to be a journalist um, again. Applied for a job in New York with Bloomberg, and I've been with them uh, ever since. It, it, it wasn't like it was a straight line for me, you know. And I and I think that it's going to be like, like like that for a lot of people. That it's great. It's great if you know you want to be a journalist or you want to be a banker or, or whatever. I wanted to have an interesting job. You know, I wanted to have a, a job to allow me to utilize my skills. And I think that journalism allowed me to do that. And it, it just, it took me a long time to realize that, you know, journalism is what I, uh, is what I do best. That's great. So you found your calling, which is wonderful. And Ellen, can you share, you know, as a foreign correspondent and journalist, what was the most interesting story you've written so far? I can tell you about some of my more recent stories. So right now I'm, I'm talking to you from Shanghai. I'm holed up in my apartment. Uh, I've been holed up in my apartment for several weeks because of the coronavirus. So I, and, and I've been involved in a lot of the coverage. Um, it's been um, it's been difficult. Um, you know, 
you know, having having to work from home, right? And uh, I've, I've been involved in several interesting features. I mean, not all the stories that, and, and, and I'm a deputy bureau chief for Bloomberg, so I don't necessarily have to uh, go out and report. But I really like to go out there sometimes, and uh, especially on big stories, I like to, I like to be part of that. And the coronavirus is the biggest story of them all right now, anyway. So I, I've been talking to a lot of people about their experiences. Not to the Shanghai, but I have friends in Wuhan uh, who'll be telling me about their experiences. So I've been involved in um, several um, enterprise stories. There was one scoop that I had just a few weeks back about how SATs and TOEFL tests were canceled for Chinese students. I mean, not necessarily, uh, you know, the biggest story in the world, but it's a story that affects, you know, like BU and other universities, and it also affects a lot of people. Who, especially a lot of these kids who started hard in high school and they're getting ready to go to a college in America and they find out, you know, these big tests have been canceled. So their their lives have been interrupted, you know. Uh, and some other stories that I've recently been involved in, um, there was a, uh, a ruckus you know, between the NBA and the Chinese government uh, when uh, Houston Rockets general manager um, made some comments about Hong Kong, and and I had to uh, cover cover story just because there was going to be an NBA game in Shanghai uh, the following the following day, and it was the first time that I had to uh, sending sending Twitter videos and doing all the social media stuff. I'm normally <laughs> I'm normally a guy who likes to write and edit. Uh, you know, I'm on a on a on a terminal. Um, I'm I, I, I don't get me wrong. I do some podcasting and I do some television radio. But it was it was it was it was a little little more uh, difficult because I had to go out to uh, you know, the Mercedes Benz uh, Arena and try to get all the video while I'm interviewing people in Chinese. Um, I mean, it was very, it was fun. It was interesting. And then you know, Bloomberg tends to uh, I like to, I like like to think Bloomberg has the final word. So uh, I go there and I'm talking to people. I'm trying to figure out uh, how they feel about this. Uh, you know about the situation. You know, a lot, you know, a lot of people in China love basketball, love the NBA, but are also proud to be Chinese. So when when I went to watch the first NBA game in 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 China right after this uh, crisis between uh, the two parties, you know, um, I was I was uh, you know I was just checking out what is there going to be protests, where there are going to be a lot of people who are angry. Uh, but you know, when when I when I went to watch the game, initially there was a lot of uh, anxiety. But as the game went along, people people start cheering, people start cheering, people start really enjoying the game, and so then I, you know I, I and I wrote a story and I did and I did a, a video piece telling people at the end of the day we shouldn't forget what was said and what was done, but but at the end of the day, NBA basketball could be something that unites the two countries. That's really interesting. I mean, that's something that you know, like not everybody can really experience from from here in the United States. So I'm now really curious about your day to day work before the coronavirus outbreak. Um, can you tell me and the listeners what's in a day in in the life like? There, there is no, no. Seriously, and this is why I really like like my job is that uh, there is no typical day. Uh, I have like basically uh, two reporting lines. One is focus on China, where my deputy bureau chief. I help manage um, a pretty pretty good sized bureau, uh, but I also do a lot of reporting, editing, focus on China, explaining China to the rest of the world. And then I have my other reporting line is global, 
where um, I'm, I'm, I'm responsible for it is, um, it's a, it's, it's, a, it's a Bloomberg global newsletter, but it's more like a newspaper, uh, which we put out. Uh, it's like a, it's like a, it's like a, a mobile newspaper that we put out several times a day called Daybreak. And when I come in, I put out a Middle East edition, and then before before I go to lunch, I put out a, a European edition, focus on London, and then before I go home, you know, I, I help publish a, you know, a, a New York edition. And each edition is is it's geared toward that particular client base. So for Dubai, you know, a lot of the uh, the news uh, in it, uh, it, and it's global. It could be about the coronavirus. It could be about the Fed. But there's also you know a lot of stuff about the Middle East, such as the, the crisis in Idlib. You know, that would be something that our clients in the Middle East would want to know more about. And then um, for Europe, for the European edition. I would focus a lot on Brexit, uh, stuff like that. So, you know, throughout the day, I'm like, I'm, I'm writing, I'm editing, I'm podcasting, I'm doing television, I'm doing radio. So it's, it's pretty exciting. That seems very exciting day. So are there any challenges for you while you're at work or being a foreign correspondent? You know, working in China, I mean, it's not the easiest place in the world. You know, you know it's not like, you know, reporting in New York. Where you just call someone up and someone is, is you know, more than more than not, they're willing to tell you their name and and uh, you, you ask them about politics and, and they're more than happy to uh, give you their opinion. In China, um, it's a little more difficult. You know, people sometimes don't want to give their names or full names. You know, they're just a little more cautious, mainly because of the nature of uh, journalism in China. So that's not a challenge. But I have to say that I've never been uh, told what to say or what to write in China. Uh, it is it is challenging in, in many different ways, you know. But it's also, re- you know, very exciting. Outside the U.S., China is the most important uh, market um, for us, and in some in some ways, it's the most important um, news market as well. Just because uh, China, in some ways, is like a black box, you know, it's really hard for people to figure out what's going on here. And my job is sort of to read the tea leaves and sort of decipher what's going on here for a global audience. And sometimes I don't even know what's going on. Okay, that's great, Ellen. Um, what are the best parts of of doing what you do? Since we talked about challenges, now I want to learn about the best parts of being a foreign correspondent. I think the best part is, you know, part of it is like being in school forever, <laughs> again, paying. Getting paid well to be in school. I mean, every day I come in, I'm reading a lot, I'm writing a lot, and uh, I'm learning a lot. In, in the beginning, it was about you know me being it was about getting scoops and being the best reporter, being the best editor. But now, uh, now that I'm, I'm, uh, I guess I'm, in, I'm in the uh, September of my career, <laughs> not later. I, I do a lot of mentoring now. I, I uh, Bloomberg has a. Um, a journalism partnership with Fudan University here in Shanghai, one of the best universities in uh, in China. And then sometimes I, I teach there and I mentor I mentor students there as well. And um, I, I enjoy the mentoring part of my uh, my, my job uh, probably more now, I guess, than uh, you know than I would have been maybe in, in an early stage of my career. Uh, I, I enjoy uh, traveling. I, I get to uh, you know. I, I, I always I spent several months I must several months uh, several weeks a year in Hong Kong U.S. and London. Uh, I'm working in different you know environments, meeting different people, um, talking to uh, 
very interesting people. Um, in China, like I said, it's a, it's a you know it's a black box sometimes, and you, you know, and sometimes it's you know it's very hard to, to figure out what's going on. But when you do, it's it's very rewarding. Um, and 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 I think I think another great thing about journalism too is just the fact that you you don't have a position. Uh, it's basically what the facts tell you. And with Bloomberg, we're very data driven. So um, you know, unless unless the data uh, is there, I tend you know you you wouldn't write it, right? You want you want you want to have the, the evidence to back it up. And I just compare that with you know maybe other news organizations that worked for in the past, where I would maybe just write something, then find data to back it up. At Bloomberg, uh, first thing you do is you try to find the data to, to back it up, and then you and then you um, and then you write your story. Uh, so I, I enjoy uh, that aspect of working at Bloomberg. Uh, it's very it's very transparent, and uh, and I, I have to admit it's a, it's, it's an organization that has a you know that has a very big impact um, all over the world. Ellen, I'm really touched that you know like out of your busy schedule, you still find some time to give back to the local community by mentoring um, students at at Hudan University. So do you have any advice for students or young alumni who's who who's uh, listening to this podcast and who wants to be a foreign correspondent? Sure. Um, I, I think when, if you're still in college, I, I think that just make sure that you're taking a wide range of classes uh, and, and also taking, um, you, you know, like, I guess these core classes that are gonna, that don't seem very useful now, but they will be in the future. And I'm saying that just make sure you're taking a lot, if you want to be a journalist, make sure you're taking a lot of English classes. It could be English literature, it could be career writing, uh, taking math classes, you know, calculus or geometry. I mean, you, you always go back to English or math. Um, and then um, the other classes that I took are really helpful, of course, all the political science classes, economics, um, even even acting <laughs> helped me. Um, just because you know sometimes you need to uh, sort of uh, you know be able to uh, you know pretend you're interested even when you're not <laughs> something. So, but but, but anyway, I, I, I would say that just make sure that you're taking a wide range of, of classes in college, and then if you're finished, um, I I I, th I think that the most important thing is college doesn't. The idea prepared me very well, but, but college doesn't necessarily prepare you for the real world. Um, and I, I, what, what I'm saying is that uh, sometimes, you know, uh, working can be a grind. <laughs> you know what I'm saying? And uh, you, you need to be able to persevere. And you may not be the smartest person around. And I felt that way in my first job at Reuters. But you have to sort of make, make up for it in other ways by working harder than everybody else. Uh, let's call them the, these intangibles. You, you got to be the uh, the guy with a lot of ideas, the creative guy like like me. Um, but you have to sort of um, find a niche, uh, and your and your time will come. Uh, you know, uh, it, it's important to be patient and to um, you know and to sort of be flexible because you just never know. You know what um, you know you know what your, what what your career path is, is going to eventually end up being. Those are golden. So, Ellen, we are end of our time. I cannot thank you enough for being on the Proud to Be You podcast with me today. Thank you. I really enjoyed it. 
Thanks again to Ellen for being part of the Proud to Be You podcast. Thank you so much for the work you are doing, and we hope you are staying safe and well during these challenging times. If you'd like to read some of Ellen's most recent reporting, check out the link in the show notes of this episode. Great job, Yuna, and my thanks to Alan as well for being part of the podcast. On behalf of everyone on the BU Alumni Relations team, thanks so much for listening to Proud to Be You. If you enjoyed this episode, please be sure to subscribe, rate, and review our podcast wherever you find your episodes. I'm Jeff Murphy, and no matter where your path takes you, be proud to be you. The Proud to Be You podcast is produced by Boston University Alumni Relations. Our theme is from Jump and APM Music. To learn more about Proud to Be You, visit bu.edu slash alumni slash podcast.